0: Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual broadcasting from Atop a Hill in Mercer County. Here is your host, El Presidente E. Meritus. Thank you, Gertrude, and hola, listeners. Welcome to Episode 7 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I am Eric Frichuz, your host. Before we begin the show today, I'd like to call your attention to a pretty major announcement over at our summer conference website. We've added a new guest to the roster in the form of Peter Lynch, the editorial manager for the publisher Sourcebooks. Peter will be visiting us on Saturday, June the 13th, to give a presentation about Sourcebooks, as well as the business of the publishing world. He'll also be taking five-minute meetings with our conference attendees to hear pitches for their potential book projects. Source Books publishes nearly any topic under the sun, so chances are if you write it, he'll be willing to hear you out. You do need to register in advance for the pitch sessions, and there is a fee of $10. You can find out all the details about the Peter Lynch sessions at our website, wvwriters.org. My guest on the program today is Mr. Boyd Carr. If you were to take a look at the diamond that is Boyd Carr, you would see many facets. But the ones that immediately catch the light are his roles as artist, poet, cultural theorist, and philosopher. After graduating with a bachelor's degree in aeronautical engineering in 1957, Boyd joined the Air Force. Following his service, he spent 19 years as a corporate traveler for Blue Ridge Optical Company, which brought him to West Virginia. Fueled by a love for drawing and telling stories, Boyd eventually took on the challenge of becoming a full-time artist, which is what he's been doing ever since. His illustrations have graced a number of publications, among them the Appalachian Journal and Jim Comstock's historic newspaper of note, the West Virginia Hillbilly, which included his cartoon character O. Hector Lee. Boyd's also contributed illustrations for books, including Billy Ed Wheeler's book, Outhouse Humor. Boyd's been associated with West Virginia writers from its early years and has become an official artist-in-residence for West Virginia Writers' Summer Conference. In the year 2000, Boyd published a book called My TH, or Myth, which is the result of his years spent as a student of mythology, philosophy, art, and history. My TH weaves together the universal myth suggested by Joseph Campbell into Boyd's own theories about how such prototypical stories came to be. His ongoing work in this effort can often be found on display in his email mailing list. This June, I'll be assisting Kat Pluska and Kirk Judd in a video interview of Boyd at the West Virginia Writers Summer Conference. I'd considered simply posting that interview here as a video podcast, and we may still get to that but I felt it would also be nice to have a dry run at a conversation with Boyd in advance for this podcast. I spoke with Boyd earlier this week, and it was a phone call rich with not only his personal history as an artist, plus the origins of the MyTH findings, but also touching on the history of Western society as a whole. As I was putting this episode together, I quickly realized that our usual limit of 20 minutes would not suffice to contain even a greatly edited version of our conversation. Rather than splitting this into parts, I decided to simply make it our first double-sized episode. And because Boyd knows his own story so well, the questions I had for him were largely answered during the course of the recording. The end result sounds far more like an oral history than an interview, which somehow seems appropriate. We started our conversation speaking about Boyd's history as an artist and how that occupation led to his involvement with West Virginia Writers.
1: I've been a full-time artist for uh, 30 years this month, and um, I don't recommend uh, people going into that line of work uh, nor becoming priests. they are both got their own special uh, way of doing things, and uh, you could make some money at it, I suppose, but uh, if you go into it, trying to make money you'll be embittered uh, you'll be embittered anyway uh, for your failures one of the problems if you're a graphic artist you see your errors right in front of you and it's painful one way to get around that is to trace and my aunt Louise told me when I presented her a nice trace she was an artist I lived with her she was a member of the family and I showed it to her, and it, I thought it was wonderful. It just looked so much like the picture. And and I was waiting for her to come home, and I showed it to her, and she uh, summarily dismissed it. She said, I don't care if you make mistakes. You have to do that, do it, but learn to draw your own picture. Don't cheat. And uh, it took me a long time to uh, grapple with that. One story... Um, that I like to tell involves the Cedar Lakes setting where the writers meet and we're going to meet here in a couple of weeks. But uh, I was at Cedar Lakes and I was a member of the uh, uh, guild, the Arts and Crafts Guild, and I was supposed to go up with them from Charleston and wherever they came from to help set up the tent for the fair. And I got there late and uh, all of the jobs were taken so i sat outside the tent in the shade and as people walked by i drew uh, something of them i couldn't you know they were moving and uh, they weren't posing or they might have noticed that i was sketching but it, it it was a a challenge to try to capture the picture well i did that all day and then it, i wanted to leave early because My wife was coming home, Gloria, from uh, her work at the the Episcopal Diocesan office. So I uh, wanted to tell goodbye. And all the ladies were standing around the cash register area. And I decided, well, I'll show them my pictures. And one of the ladies said, why don't you come up here tomorrow and be our artists in residence and demonstrate art? I said, I'd be too scared to do that. And uh, now I know what cheerleaders are for. They talked <laughs> me into it. And uh, so I went home, got drunk. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, next morning, Gloria and I went up there, and she sat down in the chair and uh, put her daddy's umbrella up over it, and uh, or over mine, I think. And she sat there, and I drew a picture my hand was literally trembling. And I took the picture, we took the picture, and put it over on a little board to demonstrate it and put up a price, draw your picture for $1. And um, it wasn't really very long where a crowd began to gather and people were standing in line, and Gloria was, had the dollar bills in her hand, and I was sitting there drawing, and uh, and I was getting away with it. <laughs> and then uh, um, the the part of the story that's uh, the crux of it is a pretty girl was standing in line. She was a brunette, had long slacks on, and uh, and she sat down. And I looked at her, and I started in drawing. And I drew, uh, for a little while and I looked at her and I looked at the picture and my picture was, I had all these ugly marks on it and there was this pretty girl. And I remember I took the page and I dropped it on the grass and took another page out and put it in my clipboard and started drawing again. And after I'd been at it a little while, there were them same ugly marks. And I said to myself, are you going to do this or are you going to quit? And, um uh, I said, well, hell, let's keep going. So I kept putting the ugly marks on the page, and damn for the poor girl didn't pop out of the page. (laughs) And I was an artist. I was a public artist with a private value that I was expressing. And uh, my old late buddy, Bob Croxton, an Episcopal priest friend of mine, he said, if you're going to grow, your private value has to be made public. You have to turn to. So I guess that's like blooming. So I bloomed at Cedar Lakes, and um, when I got with the writers, was I got out of uh, the optical business unexpectedly. I got fired, and uh, I framed around and decided that I would like to learn something about writing because I love to to tell stories and I love to write and draw and cartoon. And so uh, I went to Huntington to the, uh, it was, I think, their second meeting. And um, um, it, it was a nice affair. And I um, was impressed. The, the people that came and talked were uh, a couple of pretty young women who had written a book on how to be successfully, happily published. I even ended up buying the book. And it's got a lot of good information there about what you're supposed to do and all of like that. But it didn't have anything to do with what I was doing. It wasn't any help like that. It was sort of like that ugly drawing I was doing. I was trying to apply it to a a pretty girl. So I went to the uh, writers, and they encouraged me and were helpful. And uh, Kurt Judd was um, one of the writers. And Shirley Young Campbell published... uh, um, hill and valley and and she published our stuff, and we were real pleased with herself and um that went on for quite a while and then uh i had uh been working in my studio in south charleston uh a lot and I, of course I went in the field and I drew people's pictures and I drew pictures of the of the area and um uh, anything they I was asked to do it seemed like I did, but it didn't seem to have a great direction. I got the idea along the way that I could make uh, some sculpture uh, models anyway of uh, airplanes like I used to during World War II out of corrugated cardboard and I developed that uh, concept pretty good and had some showings and uh, I was, uh, that's one of the things I could do at home. So One day I was working in my studio making cardboard birds. I got a head cold, and uh, you just can't stand up at a bench and work bench and work with your hands with a head cold. It's terrible. It drips right on your work, and uh, your nose runs, and you feel terrible. So I said, I'm always looking for some type of guidance, you know, you're supposed to get some uh, hints about what you're trying to do. And I, said, I didn't. Ha- I didn't have a clue. I was looking for a clue. So I uh, said, well, maybe I'm going back this wrong way. Maybe I should spend some time um, sitting down, reading, looking out the window, and making notes and speculating in a notebook. One of the things I noticed was when I first started looking out the window, there were these two squirrels up in the crux of the tree and they were getting it on and coupling. And I thought, well, <laughs> there, there's your sign. Uh, now, what do you make of it? I didn't know what to make of it. Now, it took me years to figure out what to make of it and it, it. and it was an important part of what turned out to be, I guess you would call my signature work or something like that. It was my interest in mythology. And that happened kind of quickly uh, in that uh, one evening I'm sitting there waiting for the ball game to come on our my wife Gloria, had gone down to that little room it was hers after um, she came home where it was her room but during the day I got through it and that was where the TV was and she came in the room and said to me uh, boy come here I think you need to meet somebody I want you to meet Meet this man. And I went down there and, and sat down. And uh, there was Bill Moyers and Joseph Campbell and The Power of Myth.
0: Was, was this on television?
1: Yeah, The Power of Myth, the TV show. It mm-hmm. was a series. And they were over there in, uh, in the scenery. The pictures were over in France in the caves. And they were looking at those uh, animals. So I watched all the shows every um, night till they were over. Then I had to go get Campbell's books and read them. And I marked up the margins, and I was particularly uh, um, working with basic uh, graphic forms. Uh, I'd been uh, in engineering school, University of Virginia. I got a degree in that, but it was my artistic uh, uh, expressions that got me through the uh, school uh, requirement for a senior thesis. And I submitted five of them before one of them was accepted. And it was all in cartoons with O. Hector Lee, a cartoon character developed there. And uh, he um, later um, had 15 years, O. Hector Lee did, with uh, the uh, hillbilly, Jim Comstock. Well, the the story of of the universal myth... um, after reading and listening, listening to the show, watching the show, the universal myth in the literate culture, and Moyer says to Campbell, how do you uh, uh, account for that? One story all over the world, same story, a hero's journey, um, is the way Campbell put it. And other people have used that expression, but it was my initiation. And so I, I've always sort of gone back too, Joseph Campbell, and, and uh, what I did was in my hillside, South Charleston, little blue chair by the window. I thought about the question and Moyers asked, "How did this story get all around the world, universal?" And Campbell said, "He said the experts, 85 percent of the experts, believe that it was distributed and." Only 15 believe it could be independently developed. And then he went on to say it would take a a special type psychologist using the like minds and bodies of man to come up with this story.
0: We're talking about the hero's journey?
1: No, the the universal myth, which the hero's journey uh, is a part of. And if you do what I did which was sit there in a chair and say, well, Lord, I, 15%. That's that's a big risk, but look at the reward. Suppose I developed a universal myth, being in the literate culture, what uh, a prize I would have. And so I said, nobody's going to know I'm going to do it, and if I fail, it won't matter, but I'll try to do it. And so I spent about the next... 15 years on that. And I did it.
0: I want to stop you for just a second. Stop me for a second. I want our listeners to understand that the the myth that you've come up with, the myth material, for one thing, it's mm-hmm. spelled the same as the regular word myth, M-Y-T-H, but there's a period between.
1: I'll tell you about that. The title I gave mine has a, a dot in the middle of my I and T-H. And I wondered about that. But I wanted to put my mark on it. Uh, it's a myth. It's just a regular myth, but it's my regular myth. And I did it, and uh, I'm in the literate culture, and I'll be glad to show it and tell the story. And I put the mark in there as to signify that it was just a little different. And the difference was significant. One day I was looking in the almanac. And book of facts, and I was reading about time. I, I somehow figured that uh, to be a universal myth, you gotta deal with time. Uh, that's something that no matter where you go, you gotta put up with. I would work in the notebook, and I would write these things down. Now, going to engineering t- school gives you a, a real break because you get, when I was at U- University of Virginia, I went to Ronald College, and then transferred, and I was at University of Virginia, and I was in the, uh, uh, they called it Communications, and it was mainly uh, headed up by Joseph Vaughn and, uh, Eric, and Mc, um, Edwin McClintock, and these were the two uh, real uh, founders of this movement. McClintock went on to Illinois and helped them develop that program out there, and I tried to catch up with somebody out there that was interested in, in our relationship and send them stuff. and. And I, I looked at their programs and they must, the word communication must have come up a thousand times, but I was unsuccessful. I, I sent a, a, I picked out some people and, and wrote them and told them what I was trying to do. They finally wrote back and said, would you please stop sending me this stuff?
0: What kind of material were you sending them?
1: My findings, my speculations and findings.
0: For myth or?
1: For myth, mm-hmm. yeah. And it was in a graphic firm, and, and my wife Gloria, introduced me to the to the internet, and uh, I, could, I would type the uh, images in that I was drawing in my notebook. I learned to type images. the The computer's not set up to handle that. Uh, there they the registration gets off real easily, the vertical registration. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem. And it looks like ruins, uh, <laughs> or an earthquake has hit it, but. Anyway, that's what, and it was suggested that I could draw uh, with a mouse, or that I could uh, to get a scanner, and I did some of that. But I overloaded some of my readers that I valued dearly. I overloaded the machinery, and uh, that that was awkward. So um, that, I, I typed it in, typed the images in. And later, I'm getting ahead of story. Ethan Fisher. Uh, the West Virginia Writers, he uh, and uh, uh, Shepherd University, he he made two suggestions. He said he'd like to see me draw a cartoon of of, of myth, uh, one cartoon, mm-hmm. and uh, of course that's your attempt every time you sit down. And the next thing he wanted me to do is to uh, draw with the mouse, and he called it The living line. And he could, you know, he sees my artwork at the writers when I go and, uh, he, he knows I can draw. And I tried it and it was terrible. I'm talking about ugly lines on it and pretty girl. I mean, it was, it was all over again. And I, I, you know, you, after a while you get to a place where you don't want to, um, deal with this monster. You, you want to just sit down under the tree and let it go. But the readers uh, like in the email I send out, I draw in it and uh, with the mouse, and i've I've had to learn to do that along the way as well as I've had to learn to write, and they put up with me and encouraged me and uh, so you'd like to have something to give back and and my th is what I found, and it happened that day in South Charleston on the hillside. I had gotten the numbers out of the almanac and written them in the notebook, and they were all in radial time, minutes, hours, seconds. And I had, uh, w- there were two main things of interest, the sun and the moon, of course. They're obvious uh, universal uh, symbols. And the sun, I'll take that first, I thought. And uh, so I was messing with their solar time, reading about it, and I didn't know what they are talking about. And they had two different times. And it turned out they were talking about a time as measured by the stars and one as measured by the seasons. And, of course, all these concepts were new to me. But I wrote the numbers down uh, as they gave them to me, and I decided I was playing. I was messing. It was child's play. I I, I was desperate. Um, I took the numbers and converted them to decimals. Well, the numbers are so close together on a day-to-day basis that you wouldn't pay any attention to it. But when I made that notation in my notebook, this brilliant glare came out of it. And I could see that in a thousand years, because you move the decimal point over three points, there would be a two-week difference. My God, I had found something that I recognized. It's like sending a child out to play, and he doesn't know what to do, and he roams all over the thing, and then he comes up with a handgun. You know, this was a a, a find, a, a boon, a wonderful. It was one of those things you recognize it when it happens. Well, that was my story. And then from then on, it took me a while to work out the details to make the finding, the boon, the wonderful experience, uh, meaningful. And that's what I did. You're... Uh, ability to tell the story will be tested, but you first have if you have the story. If 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 you know what it is that you found and you recognize it as such, you are there. You have done it, and I had done it, but it just it took me a long time to articulate it and make it up into a. Uh, I draw cartoons into it, but it's a pretty good story. There are some people that uh, collect my stuff, and uh, but I've run into these people a lot of them through the West Virginia Writers. And Kurt Judd um, was um, instrumental in my coming back to the writers. My wife Gloria, retired after a long run as a diocesan executive in West Virginia Episcopal Church, so she wanted to retire. We will move back to Virginia so we did that and I came down here and I spent another eight years and then that was about nine years that I had been absent from the writers and uh, Kurt Judd uh, we kept in touch and I was sending him my findings but once I got on the email thing it it made my life a lot easier it might have made other people's lives more difficult but it made mine more easier I could send the stuff out and uh, they've put up with me. They've encouraged me, and uh, I-, I love them. They're just uh, terrific. And so, you know, if I have a dedication, it's to uh, all those people that, uh, I don't know if they had faith in me, but they took a long shot. And it was a long shot. And, uh, you know, uh, it, when you're in art, you're funny anyway. And then when you don't make any money, you're really strange. As my father said, it's pure fantasy. And you don't make any money. And if you like me, I don't know why you do it. And I had a hard time explaining that to him. And I don't think I ever did. And sometimes I have trouble explaining it to myself. But I told him, I said, I practice. I do it. I mean, it. it's it's my ugly marks and my pretty girl. And uh,
0: <laughs>
1: and it's my period. And I put it in the middle of the word. And it's my threshold, uh, T.H. I found it in the... Uh, a dictionary, American Heritage Dictionary, an old one I had, about wore out doing word traces. Now, I've had an education since I started uh, becoming an artist, uh, and I guess that's the way you're supposed to do it. I got a lot of help along the way, but uh, it it's not a it's not a job that I w- would think most people would would care for. So when I go and tell them that I found something. Um, they don't, that's too bad to be true or good to be true. Uh, I hope that answers that question about the spelling.
0: One of the the striking things about the MyTH material, especially in the setup that you have at the conference, at least the years I've been there, you have a kind of a display. Uh And a lot of it, I think you touched on this, are the symbols almost from a computer keyboard that you use to create drawings. And then later you've incorporated drawings with a mouse um, you had mentioned Ethan Fisher had had recommended doing a living line and that strikes me as one of the best descriptions of your artistic style in the sketches that you you currently do at the conference
1: um I get goosebumps when I hear that from you and I really thank you I mean that's it may it it makes uh makes it worthwhile to get that type of feedback and uh, it's if and when you do get it, it's uh, it just puts everything into perspective. And that's the payoff. Um, Hemingway, his wife was writing about him. And um, they were down in Key West where they lived. And he was writing Old Man and the Sea. And she was reading this stuff in the afternoon. And he was walking around nervous behind her. And uh, he looked down and she had goosebumps. And uh, he said, "You know, you can fake a lot of things, uh, but when they got goosebumps, that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good validation mm-hmm. for what you're saying." And so, when I get a compliment like you just gave me, Eric, I, I truly do get goosebumps, and I often tell that story uh,
0: well i'm looking at one actually i'm looking at two of them right now i have two sketches you've done of me in two different years of the conference mm-hmm. framed on my wall here in the office and now there's that, that
1: the bumps again
0: <laughs> the one you did of last year um the the style it's not a single line but there are very few lines used it's usually one continuous line that does the majority of the picture and then you pick up like with my hairline and things like that, a separate line. But it—if you don't study it, you could you could mistake it for being one single line. Mm-hmm. Almost mm-hmm. kind of a human etch-a-sketch sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it—you completely captured me in a moment there.
1: That's what I would like to be known for. <laughs> I will take that. <laughs> I'll take that honor proudly. Where?
0: <laughs> and just to let our listeners know, you're very often found at the the summer conference, and you'll be there this year as our official sketch artist. And uh, Yeah,
1: that's, um, th- uh, that's um, part of the scheme. I say part of the scheme. Um, I've been able to get away with that. Uh, th- they let me in for free, for one thing. <laughs> I like that. Uh, it's an honor to um, sit with these people They're all individuals. This is not a collective outfit that I'm uh, after. Even though uh, that's the major, uh, a great deal of effort goes into that. Uh, I'm not. That's not my. That's not my thing. I'm after the uh, intimacy that you get when you sit down and tell a story to somebody or hear somebody's story and uh, exchange viewpoints on it and those things can be very enlightening one of the niceties that i'm able to uh, use is the the drawing to get to that threshold and um somehow i think that's worth uh, the effort and of course if the drawing comes out well too i'm i'm very pleased about that but i don't know that uh I, I don't know that I can explain all of the many things that that do happen in that context, but I have. I get. I pick up readers. Um, I save readers. I send them the stuff. I don't know if they read it or not. As long as they don't report it as spam, I take it as a plus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I get some feedback, and sometimes the feedback is just uh, blows me away. I, Ethan Fisher wrote a poem the other day that he not only uh, can write poetry. Now, I think people who write poetry don't know what they're talking about. But he can write poetry, and I think he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's very reassuring.
0: Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the, the TH material can be quite challenging. Uh, just oh, yeah. To, just to yeah. stand before your display yeah. and see all those symbols there, your brain kind of does a flip, and you're like, you you wonder if there's even a path if you could even find a path leading into the forest that is my th, let yeah. alone understand it in a yeah. in a short period of time.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a challenge. And what happens with, uh, I went to uh, I was an artist in residence for the uh, uh, West Virginia Episcopal Diocese, and I got that job because I would go to the to the banquet and sit with my wife up front. She's a uh, muckety-muck, and I'd sit up there, and I'd be at the end of the table, and i get introduced first. And uh, Bishop Atkinson, in his uh, uh, southerly way, he introduced me as our artist and resident. Well, as I told the, the presiding bishop when he came to, I said, i make a goddamn career out of that. <laughs> and, he, and he said, way to go. That's the way to go. And uh, uh, and, I have, and I did, and uh, they invited me. I went to their summer camps, and I... uh Uh, What I found was the uh, young people in high school, they were the ones that uh, I I found the most um, uh, interesting. Uh, And I was challenged at the time to come up with a a creative story. And I was challenging them. I was giving them the same challenge. That's what I would do. I would be an artist and what I would be confronted with, I would present that to them and I asked them, what would you do? How would you do it? And, uh, so these, there were three girls, women. These were, they were girl women. They were at that age. And they went off and they came back about an hour or so later and they had a creative story. And they told me the creative story. Of course, they'd stole it right out of the Bible. Hmm. That's not what I was after. I was after them to make up a creative story. Well, you see, our educational system has so arranged that we have convinced ourselves that we know all there is to know and we can get on with it. Now, if you go to look at the basics that underline all that, then you get into the same proposition that I had when I was trying to come up with my th and i talk about bitterness i have been embittered by the number of intellectual people that i've encountered that haven't a clue as to how to go about being creative they they can tell you what they know but they can't tell you how they found it out or what they're going to do about it and a lot of these people are teachers and uh, it's a terrible thing. So if I could bring it off, if I could find it, and I got it just the other day. It came to me. The uh, The solution to the problem is is in the question that Gloria asked me about, are you going to tell them all this math stuff? See, Edith Hamilton uh, didn't start writing until she was about 65. She's a Greek scholar and taught over there in Greece. And she wrote. She's the
0: author of the the book Mythology that is often cited as one of the best.
1: And one of her books, I think, is Witness to the Truth. And she's talking in there about the Egyptians. And the Egyptians had the problem of getting their uh, crops uh, in and maintaining their uh, grain through the year, they had, their whole system was based on they're doing that successfully and it was a timely venture because the Nile overflowed and made the land uh, uh, farmable and they needed to know when that was going to happen so they sent these people to work on it and these people worked on it and they had to uh, solve the problem and they did and then they told them uh, what the solution was and they said thank you and they said well we won't tell you how we did it and they said, we're busy. We, we don't want to know how you did it. If, you were, if it works, you got the job. And so she tells the story that that's how the priest got to talk to priest. They couldn't talk to anybody else. And uh, we've got that same division in the culture now. There are people that can uh, tell you all that you, uh, more than you want to know about a certain subject, but they can't tell you how they got there. And so my TH attempted to go and look at the basics and figure out how would I tell the story. So Wilson Brown the other day in church in Easter, he stands up there and says, how would you tell the story? I complimented him dearly after the service for it. I said, I've been trying to get people to answer that question for years. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough question. But the problem is... That with the numbers and the graphic symbols that were developed to express the the numbers and the mathematical uh, computations that you have to make to tell the story, they were personified. The story's the same, but they they gave them people's names. They gave them names of uh, of mythical, if you will, dragons and things of that sort. They made up stories. They personified the basic uh, images of the numbers of the configuration of the sun and the moon and the stars. And that's what myth breaks down. And it's a simple story. It's an easy story to relate, uh, but the problem of it is it's creative and it's different and it's true and you can verify it. You don't have to take this on faith. This is a verifiable uh, solution to the universal myth.
0: Now, for the handful of people who I suspect may not have quite comprehended what MyTH actually is, just based on this conversation and what we're going to be able to play of it Uh on the podcast, Uh you've already written a MyTH book that encompasses all this. Am I correct?
1: Yeah. Uh, Gloria said I wrote it too soon. But uh, I wanted to get the basic stuff down. It wasn't very slick. And I wrote it, and I sent it in to uh, get it self-published. And the guy says, you only got 14 pages. And I said, that's it. He said, I need more. I need a hundred and something So I had to come up with a bunch of filler. So I drew a bunch of birds and things and put in there and wrote some other stuff and put the book out. And it's online book. It's available from uh, the author house now. And you can get it at cheaper price. Uh, but you can get it from Amazon or anybody that borders, I think, has any any of those that print the book up. And every now and then somebody will say, I want one of your books. And
0: uh, Will you have any at the conference this year?
1: Yeah, I'm one or two, probably. Uh,
0: well, those interested in picking up a copy can easily recognize you because you're usually wearing your railroad engineer's cap.
1: Wife says, I can't wear that damn cap. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that works out.
0: Well, if you don't have your engineer's cap, they'll recognize you by the sketch pad in your hand.
1: They'll uh, they'll be able to tell who I am. I don't wear a name tag.
0: Well, Boyd, I look forward to seeing you at the conference this year, and I thank you very much for lending us some of your time today.
1: Listen, I'm delighted. Uh, There ain't nothing I like better than talking to friends.
0: Ed Carr's book, Th*, can be found at fine booksellers across the internet, as well as the website of its publisher, AuthorHouse. We'll have that link as well as an email address where you can sign up for Boyd's email mailing list at our own website, wvwriters.org slash podcast dot html. Next week on the show, we'll be speaking with two of our conference presenters, Daniel Boyd and William Bittner. William is an author, and Daniel is a filmmaker with ties to the infamous Troma Studios. Together, they share not only a love of professional wrestling, but are genuine wrestlers themselves. They've spun that knowledge into the illustrated pulp novel, Death Falcon Zero Versus the Zombie Sluglords. Should be a good one. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at popswalker.com. This podcast has been produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County.